the VO meter, measuring your voiceover progress. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode six of the VO meter, measuring your voiceover progress. Once again, I'm Paul Stefano, and joining me as always is co-host Sean Daly. How you doing, Sean? I'm doing great. How are you, Paul? I am great. Just coming down from the holiday blissfulness of spending all the time with my family and friends and getting started with the new year. Did you do anything special or did you keep it pretty low key this year? We were lucky in that, well, when you're parents and you don't have to travel with kids, it's always considered lucky to not have to travel. So we stayed home. My parents came to me and we celebrated just at home and actually stayed home the whole week. I was off and didn't do any work the whole week. Great, That's awesome. Great time. Yeah, I, I, I definitely put like I, I didn't do any work myself. I didn't do any auditions or anything. I mean, it was it was an important time. My girlfriend came out from Hawaii. Um, she's actually originally from Washington. Her job's over there. So they're like, "What do you mean she came from Hawaii to Washington?" <laughs> but yeah, it's that's like what I thought. it's like a fifty degree difference in weather. It's ridiculous. It's like seventy five over there and twenty five over here. But uh, but anyway, she came down and I got to meet her parents and she got to meet mine and I think we both did a pretty good job of impressing them. It helps when you bring wine. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, it was, a, it was a small investment for a big return, which is something we're always talking about on the podcast, right? Yeah, exactly. So we're talking about the new year. What are your, some of your New Year's resolutions? Well, I try not to have too many. I mean, if I, uh, they've, they've got that one rule where it's good to have like between five to seven goals, whether it's a resolution or you're just trying to tackle some area of your life. You want to be realistic. You want it to be attainable. So... At least voiceover related. I'm going to get into audiobooks this year. Um, Ooh. I, yeah, excited about that. It's something that I've wanted to do for a very long time, but since I didn't really have the space for it, my last apartment was extremely loud, and the only good times to record were between 11 p.m. and 3 a.m. Not very sustainable uh, strategy, if you ask me. But so you've never done any audiobooks? I did do some uh, volunteer projects for this one site called. LibriVox or Book Voice, oh, right. in a, it, it's all volunteer and public domain, and it's a great way to um, to test out if that's something that you're interested in because it's all volunteer, and it's a great way to practice editing and making sure that you sound decent enough to release your, your stuff out <laughs> to the world. Their service is actually for people who are uh, sight-impaired, right? Not necessarily. I mean, I know a number of students will use that because you might have certain works that are required reading in literature classes or his, or history classes. But but you're right. People who, who do have visual impairments use it as well. That's because it's all provided free of charge, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a free yeah, service. It's, it's all service. volunteer. They do take donations. But um, the only problem is that you'll find people of all <laughs> like of all stripes there like an inability wise and equipment wise so sometimes you might not get the best reading that you're looking for but if you're unhappy with it you could re-record it yourself they do allow multiple recordings of the same texts cool speaking as someone who has done quite a lot of audiobooks it's an entirely different beast i hope you're hope you're ready for it i hope you know what you're jumping into <laughs> Talking with you, you've given me a much better idea, and I'm sure I'll be like begging you for help <laughs> as I get my feet wet. There you go. So, any other uh, resolutions? Yes, I'm going to be doing another or re-updating my commercial demo with the the Global Voice Acting Academy. Very excited about that. Um, oh, that's big news. Yeah, because the the commercial demo is about three years old. It was good enough for, like to get um, me some agents, 
But I've talked to a number of coaches and friends, and they're like, yeah, maybe it doesn't show off your range as well as it could. And I feel like I've grown as a voice actor in the last three years, so might as well create something that better reflects that ability. Cool. And what then, about your uh, recording space? Recording you mentioned you want to do something about that? Yes, I did. I want, I want a booth. To be a little bit more general, I want a better, an official recording space. Uh, right now, we haven't settled on exactly which room I'm going to use permanently at my or in my current house. And I would just like to have a place that's consistent and quiet and that I can use anytime I want, so without disturbing my family. And so that's the big goal. I know there's a drum school in Seattle who's offering a uh, basically a name your price for a vocal booth. So I'm going to talk to him. And it's a it's a four by six booth, which is a little bit larger than most people get. So um, as long as we have a space for it, I might have a booth very soon. Who knows? Oh, that's cool. One thing I would caution is to uh, make sure you can move the sucker because some of those are music schools or the uh, the booths that are used for hearing tests, like um, audiology booths, mm-hmm. are insanely heavy and Especially much more unwieldy than people booths. think they are. Yeah. Because, I mean, usually these these structures are, are like rectangular cubes, and, and I've heard that each side or each piece can be as much as four or 500 pounds. Yeah, even a whisper room, each side is probably 120 to 150 pounds, and it's a lot to, to lug around. That's just on the smallest version. Mm-hmm. Like, like Paul said, so like you might think that a booth will solve all of your problems, but you really have to put a lot of thought into this investment because it is a lot of effort. It can be a lot of money to get one of these into your house. Yeah. So that that's pretty much it for professional goals is to get an audiobooks, redo that demo, and then get a booth or a, a better space. You know, it might just be a matter of kind of finding the quietest room in the house and then treating the walls so it sounds good. But but that is the ultimate goal is to have a dedicated space for my, my voiceover endeavors. And uh, other than that, it'd be nice to lose 20 pounds because I've been uh, putting away the sweets and the ginger snaps and the pumpkin pie over the last couple of months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that does tend to happen. Well, my, my girlfriend loves to eat too, and it's nice to find someone that you don't have to feel ashamed about that with. So, I mean, we, we like to eat good food. There you go. I have some goals. I'm not big on resolutions because, uh, like we've talked about, I tend to just sort of jump into things and go full speed. Yeah. So when and I get an idea in my happens. head, I just go, whether it's January 1st or, or June 1st. So my my immediate goals, though, are to try and get to more events. I, I made a point of really not going to any the first year because I didn't think I was ready either with physical materials. Like I didn't have any demos when I first started and I didn't think I was ready talent wise to actually take on any clients. Should I actually get any referrals or, um, clients at an event? So I sort of put that off, but I've already been to Mavo at the end of last year, uh, the mid Atlantic voice conference that we did the episode three from. Mm-hmm. And now I've committed to go to voiceover Atlanta, which or VO Atlanta, which should be a great time. Yeah, so it sounds like a great event. Um, I'm really excited to go for the first time, and I'm actually going to be volunteering there. I talked to the the organizer and founder, Gerald Griffith, and he agreed to have me come and work on the audiovisual services team. Very cool. Led by Uncle Roy. So that should be a lot of fun. People I know that are there's a couple of people that I know, you know, from different social media circles, and I've met in person. Uh, Uncle Roy's going to be there. Cam Cornelius is going to be there. Scott Chambers, and a few other people on the staff that I actually haven't had a chance to meet yet, but I will once I'm there. And that sounds like it's going to be a great opportunity. So I want to thank Gerald for having me do that and can't wait to get there. Yeah, it's and, a uh, it's a fantastic conference. It was my first uh, voiceover conference. And I I feel you because, I mean, I remember um, they, they actually offer this wonderful scholarship every year. It just finished 
in uh, the beginning of November, but they offer multiple scholarships for um, national, like within the U.S., voiceover artists, a children's scholarship, and an international scholarship, which basically includes um, free registration to the event and then a stipend for travel expenses. And if I hadn't had that at the time, I, I wouldn't have been able to go. But once I went, it was such a life and career-changing experience that I, I, have, um, I have dedicated myself to going to at least VO Atlanta once a year as well, so in the future, because it's a wonderful, wonderful conference. So, yeah, I'm really excited to go to VO Atlanta. Obviously, I'll see you there. Sounds like some of us at least are going to eat a giant hamburger. That'll be a lot of fun. <laughs> I want to do that <laughs> challenge. What is it called? Yeah. Like the, they, They've got this eight-pound burger at a restaurant in Atlanta called the Grim Reaper, and it's got all of my favorite things. I mean, you've got Angus beef. You've got um, a whole bunch of cheese, bacon, like seven eggs, and a mountain of onion rings. I'm like, no lettuce, no vegetables, no, just, just what I love. Our friend Lance Blair was saying it's pretty far away from the airport, and the hotel was basically connected to the airport. I think it's probably about a 40-minute train ride. But if, we get, if there's any way we can do it, I'm in. I'm totally in. I've never done an eating challenge before, but anyone who's watched me eat would probably think I could do it. So. <laughs> I don't want to go off on too much of a tangent, but I actually have been in a few eating contests. Story for another day. Very cool. Yeah, <laughs> we'll have to talk about um tactics and stuff like that sean yeah, versus we call, food we call that a tease maybe a future episode we'll talk about food challenges nice <laughs> but right now we're going to introduce our new segment questionable gear purchase it's a chance to talk about some of the things that we have purchased over the last couple of weeks and since our last episode and why and how we think they might help our business all right, I guess I'll start because I did pick up a lot of stuff <laughs> over the holidays. And like my thing is, is like I don't really ask people for gifts, especially nowadays, because some of the things I, I drool over are far too expensive for me to ask anyone to get. But I did find some great deals on some things I've been looking at for a while. Um, I got two big things recently, and that's the uh, an interface called the SPL Creon. So SPL is short for Sound Pressure Labs. It's a company out of uh, out of Germany, and they're famous for making very like boutique, high quality uh, analog gear. And they've recently made some uh, some new interfaces. They had this beastly interface, desktop interface called the Crimson, which was a little bit overkill for me. It had some cool features like two headphone outs and two instrument inputs and stuff like that, but nothing. The people in our level of voiceover would really need if you're doing if you're a music studio, yeah, it'd be great, but um, not what we need. Anyways, recently they made sort of a slim down version called the Creon, which still had a lot of the great features of the Crimson, and it's kind of similar to say the Audion ID22, but it's got a little bit different flavored preamps. I think it sounds quite nice, and um, it's got some additional features that I wanted, like a, a high pass filter. At a decent range, I believe it's at 70 hertz, so I don't have to worry about any of any desirable frequencies in my voice being cut out by still being able to take out any rumble in my space or in my recordings. So um, I'm really happy about that. And then I also got uh, a new microphone, which is a Latvian mic called the JZJ1. It was actually recommended by our friend Lance Blair as sort of a CAD E100S killer. And it's because it's a very it's a very light, very low profile mic. It's kind of like rectangular shaped, 
actually reminds me of like a like a foil razor or a stick of deodorant. But um, it, but it's but it's an attractive mic. I mean, you can tell it's from a boutique retailer, and um, it's got like a very very low profile shock mount that just kind of screws into the bottom of the mic. It's super low profile, perfect for using in a closet booth setup. Um, and I would wholeheartedly recommend it to to new talent. So um, so in in Paul's listened to some audio with it too. And what do you think, Paul? Yeah, it sounded great, especially um, in a well-treated space. Mm-hmm. This is a sub three hundred dollar mic, and I think it would be great for commercials or narration. So once again, that's the JZ J One. Um, it's about like retail price is four hundred dollars. Occasionally, you'll see it on Amazon for two seventy nine if you're a Prime member, and um, but you will always find it at that price at B&H Photo Video. So if this is a mic you're looking at, you might want to, uh, I would definitely recommend looking at it there. And they've even got a few different colors. So like they've got a gray version and a purple version. If you really care about color, you, do, you just might want to ask the manufacturer first to see what you're getting. What about you, Paul? Any questionable gear purchases? Oh boy, yeah. Um, <laughs> I had this, uh, this idea that kind of came from you actually. We were doing some recording and you said something to the effect of, well, maybe that mic isn't the most flattering on your voice or that mic, you could fi- probably find a better mic. I, I think was you might even said the words, helpful. you deserve a better mic. <laughs> you and, do. Uh, I got that little sort of devil on my shoulder saying, you do need a new mic. So then I, um, <laughs> I had a meeting with George Whittem about an unrelated issue and he had a similar comment where we were talking about noise getting in the recordings and he said, I think a lot of that is your mic because it kind of has a lot of self-noise. This is when I was using the AT875R. Uh, and I said, well, George says I need a new mic, so obviously I need a new mic. <laughs> and I went insane and bought three. Now, the, the way that happened was I was bidding on something on eBay and wasn't really expecting it to, to go through, and it did. So I ended up with a, a blue baby bottle and a blue reactor because both my bids went through at the same time. Oh, wow. These are both mics by the company Blue. Um, used to be a Latvian company. Now they're, I think they're made in the U.S. now. So, yeah, they're in the U.S., but a lot of their manufacturing is in China, I believe. Okay. So, anyway, I got this idea that I always like to have two mics, and I got this idea that I wanted to have all the same mics because if you're a golf a fan of professional golf, you may know that Tiger Woods uses all Nike clubs. Well, they pay or, him to do it. <laughs> right. Or Michael Jordan wore all Nike equipment, had the Nike shoes. So... I thought maybe that would be the same with mics. I have actually heard of this happening where Pat Fraley, for instance, uses all Audio-Technica mics. So I thought, man, I'll be the blue mic guy. So I end up with these two mics. And then I actually bought a third, which is the, the blue Raspberry. And this was because I thought I needed something portable. So, again, going crazy at once, I had the, the blue baby bottle, the blue reactor, and the blue Raspberry. And the Raspberry is pretty interesting because it's a portable mic. It's a little USB mic about the size of the Apogee mic that mm-hmm. a lot of people think it compares favorably to. And if you're interested in hearing a sample, I was featured along with the mic on the last VOBS show with Dan and George, where they played a sample of me doing a read on that mic because they wanted to review it. And they said, well, send us a sample and we'll talk about it. So they did. So anyway, I, I bought all three of those. Definitely questionable gear purchases because it turns <laughs> out that they all kind of suck in my space on my voice. <laughs> Well, I mean, that, I was I was really hopeful about the blue raspberry because, I mean, blue, they made the Yeti, which even though it's not like my problems with the with the Yeti are all structural. It's just a very large, ungainly mic. 
Um, I, it, you would never want to use it on like a boom arm or anything like that. It's very heavy. It's like two pounds and it's just large, but it sounds wonderful. I used it for two years or the, the pro version, the one that was USB and analog. I never actually hooked it up to analog because by that time I had, had a better XLR mic, but whatever, live and learn. And I never really liked the Apogee because, yeah, it's probably the most portable on the market. But for 200 to $250, if you get the whole accessory kit, I just didn't think it was worth the sound, especially if you went with something like the the AT875R and a one-channel interface like the, the, the Scarlett Solo or the Shure XTU or something like that. You're going to get better quality and spend about the same amount. So, yeah, that's true. And the Raspberry, it, it does sound good and... I, did, I was able to get some good results out of it with a lot of tweaking. Mm-hmm. The problem I had with actually all the blue mics was that they all sounded pretty bad raw. I had to do a lot of processing and uh, EQing to make them sound decent. And when I did, they sounded great. But my goal really is to have something that sounds good right out of the box because mm-hmm. I have a really decently treated space and it sounds good. So and that is what you want. You like, I mean, it's less work for you later. And, and blue's got a habit of sort of having a signature sound for all of their mics uh, like because right. they, they they intend them for different uses. They have some more general all-purpose ones like the Bluebird or the Baby Bottle. But other than that, they really try to sort of cater it to specific uses. And with VoiceOver, we don't necessarily want that. We want something that is as true to source as possible. Yeah. So so in the end, I punted on all three of those mics, and uh, <laughs> this is why I came up with the name "Questionable Gear Purchases" for this segment because in my case, it always is. And what I decided to do is go back to basics and um, stick with what works. So the mm. 875R sounded good in my space on my voice, but was lacking a little bit of low end. So I picked up an 897, also an Audio-Technica, an AT897, which is a longer barreled shotgun. Some people compare it favorably to the 416. I won't go that far, but I've heard uh, some talent um, even say that they use it in place of the 416 on the road for pickups. And in my case... For whatever reason, the Audio Technica products sound really good. So maybe like Pat, I'll be the Audio Technica guy, and that's what I'm going with for now. So I'm using I, it right now on this on this podcast, actually. Yeah, and uh, I actually encourage our listeners to uh, to go to this episode and to listen back on our previous ones where Paul was using his other mic, the A75R, and and try and listen to the differences yourself. I I personally I like the change. I think it's a definite upgrade. It had all of the it had the clarity. And the accuracy of the of the 875, but it's got a little bit more low end, and overall, it just sounds much smoother to me and really pleasant. So, congratulations! Yeah, Paul. that's exactly what I was looking for. So, I guess mission accomplished. Yeah, good for you. Maybe I'll stop buying things this week. <laughs> this week, yes. <laughs> if you didn't, then we wouldn't have a segment. <laughs> yeah, it's all for the show. It's all for you people. Mm-hmm. Thank you. We appreciate it, and and I love Paul's attitude of never being. I wouldn't say never being satisfied, but always being willing to experiment. And he just, like, me, I tend to buy mics and hold on to them. I don't know why it's so much harder for me to sell than it is for him. But different strokes to rule the world and all that. There we go. Speaking of questionable gear purchases, I'm sure we had a lot as we kind of went through our own personal and professional journeys with today's topic. And that is... Studio acoustics, acoustics, acoustics. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I figured Paul and I would just kind of go back and forth and talk about our own studio evolutions in regards to acoustics. So for our listeners who don't know, acoustics is merely the science of sound. 
voiceover artists have a very specific need when it comes to acoustics. We need a quiet space, and we need a non-reverberant space. So, in or other words, dead space. a dead space. You know, like the that sci-fi arcade game with the. But, <laughs> anyways, um, but yeah, we need a dead space that does not have echo. Otherwise, you get if it. It sounds bad. The audio sounds bad, and we want something that uh, that sounds natural. It doesn't sound like it was recorded in a kitchen or a bathroom. So, um, acoustics, the room acoustics, are probably the most important aspect of your recording chain, next to the mic and then uh, the interface or preamp. So, but it's also the least understood and potentially the most expensive. So I feel like it's a one that a lot of beginning voiceover artists shy away from. What do you think, Paul? Yeah, I agree. And it's sort of a, it's sort of a misnomer because, well, not misnomer, but it's, most talent go about it backwards, like you said. People look for the shiny new things. They want the mic. But in, in actuality, if you have a great space, you almost need nothing else. I've actually done stuff in here with the iPhone where in my, my now really great acoustic space and it sounds better than probably a lot of people do with a professional microphone in a crappy room i know um voice talent mike delgadio he has a great uh he goes by booth junkie on youtube he's got a great video comparing a 50 dollar mic i think it's the akg uh perception uh it's it's no longer made with uh with the neumann tlm 103 which is like a thousand dollar mic and but the whole point of that video is not a mic comparison because he's taking these mics into different spaces and proving that the space is more important than the mic itself. And it really is a way to make your life easier. Like you were talking about um, how it's easier if you have a mic that sounds great raw. The same is true for your space. The less you you have to or the more you treat your space in the beginning, the less you have to do on the back end and processing or editing because you won't have to worry about making it sound better. It'll already sound great if you have a good space. All right. So without further ado, uh, let's talk about the different incarnations of our studio space. And I actually want to start with what I'm currently using because it's most beneficial to you, our viewers. And what I'm in right now, I think I've mentioned this before, is a walk-in closet, which is honestly the best, least expensive way to get started with your first voiceover booth or voiceover space. And can, I just, can I just add that it's your mom's walk-in closet? I just <laughs> love that. I know. So now I have to deal with coming out of the closet <laughs> jokes and your mama jokes. So thank you, Paul, for that. <laughs> but, hey, I've got a supportive family, so I guess that's what matters. But going back into the benefits of a walk-in closet, a closet's a good start because you've got, chances are you've got a lot of clothing, you've got a lot of absorbent material to prevent your voice from bouncing on all the walls. And, th and a regular closet works well, too, if it's deep enough or if it's fl or filled with enough clothing. Walk-in closet is even better because you have a little bit more space to move around. Uh, gesturing is very important for um, authentic voiceover. And um, you're surrounded by absorbent you, materials. And usually surrounded by drywall and probably some insulation behind that drywall. Yeah, exactly. You have a little bit of isolation from the rest of the house, from the outside of the house um, as well. So your, your noise problems are reduced. Because I've been using pretty directional mi er, microphones in here, like the 416 or the, the JZJ1, which is a medium, like a smaller diaphragm condenser. Um, but honestly, it works with my large diaphragm condensers as well. I don't even hear 
people outside or downstairs when I'm recording, which so it's great. But I didn't always have a closet, a good enough closet that I could use. When I was living in Japan, um, I I had a the closet was pitifully small. It was like I couldn't take a shower in it. It was that small, you know. It was so I could like I couldn't fit in it. I couldn't fit a mic stand or anything else in it in my clothing. So it just it wasn't a viable option. And it was just too close to the walls and the doors. It, it just wouldn't work. So at that time, there weren't a whole lot of prefabricated portable acoustic solutions for talent. I knew I wanted something portable because I knew I wasn't going to be in Japan forever. So I wanted something that I could take with me to and from that country. And so at that time, Harlan Hogan had come out with a couple of different products called the Porta Booth. And this thing has gone through a couple of incarnations. It used to be like a little folding laundry cube that he lined with acoustic foam. And then he actually patented it and he made a larger version called the Porta Booth Pro, um, which is quite large and can fit like a, a decent mic in, a, or in your script in there as well. And then it's even got like a little blanket in it that comes out behind your head to improve the, uh, the dampening effect. Um, but that at the time, that was a little bit too expensive for me. So I went for the, the Porta Booth Plus, which is a nice rectangular shape. It was a little bit more portable. I could fit it in a suitcase or take it on carry-on. Uh, still a little ungainly for that. Uh, they they recommend a lot of these products as carry-on, and honestly, I, I wouldn't do that with a lot of them just because of the like, they're large and they're pushing the boundaries of a lot of flights by by with that marketing misnomer. But anyways, so I used that for two years, and it worked out well. I got paid with it. I used it for plenty of paid work. Before that, I got it properly set up, I submitted some files to Dan Leonard over from, at the time, East West Audio Body Shop, which is now VOBS or VoiceOver Body Shop. And because he and George both have this sort of um, this place on their websites where you can send them audio samples and get a free consult if you're willing to wait. And, um, and so I did. And then about a day later, <laughs> Dan's like, I can hear your computer fan. I can hear your refrigerator. I like, it sounds terrible. You're too far from the mic. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> At that time, I knew nothing about recording myself, and I was just happy to hear that I was able to push record and actually get a signal into the dang computer. So I took, I took Dan's advice. I moved the computer. I would turn off the refrigerator while I record, and I can't tell you how much food I've wasted because I forgot to turn that back on. It was just, just one of the sacrifices I was willing to make for my craft. So anyways, I used that for two years, and then uh, finally we started getting some new products that uh, became available, namely the Chaotica Eyeball from Canadian company Chaotica. I was about to come home to the States, and I decided to pick up some new equipment, so I picked up some new mics, and I picked up the Chaotica Eyeball, and I thought it sounded a little bit more natural, a little less boxy than the, uh, than the Porta Booth Plus, but still a little reflective. So what I did after that was I uh, I set up some baffling. <laughs> By baffling, I mean laundry racks with uh, futon mattresses folded over them. So I had these sort of three gobos that I put on either side and behind me. And with those improvements, I was able to get or a better sound out of the eyeball and the Porta Booth Plus when I used that. Because funny story, even though my new mic and the eyeball and interface setup sounded better to me. When I sent some comparison files to one of my uh, my primary clients, he was like, I like the old one. Stay with that. 
So even though you make incremental upgrades, your client's opinion is the one that matters most, right? Yeah, definitely. They're the ones who are paying you. Yeah, they're the it's ones It's funny who... you mentioned the, um, the baffling. That can be a quick fix. Our friend uh, Mike Norgard did the exact same thing recently with some plywood where he set it up behind his space because he doesn't record in a booth. He records in a, in a room in his, in his house that he set up as a studio. And while it sounded pretty good, he was having some reflection problems. So he mm -hmm. put up some plywood and draped, at first, all of his old shirts over it, over the back. So you could see <laughs> all the old flannel shirts that uh, he probably wore when he was listening to Pearl Jam and Nirvana. And that did a great job of, of changing the sound completely, completely eliminating the echoing. And I think since he's, he's upgraded to some foam. But just putting that wood behind him made a huge difference. And that's probably the biggest issue with these, with these portable solutions is that they, they, they don't offer any dampening behind you which makes a big impact on the, on the final sound. So those were some of my earlier incarnations of my, my booth, if you can call it that. What about you, Paul? What did you start with? Well, I started pretty basic as well, although I did have some knowledge of acoustics because I, I went to school in, for my undergrad degree in broadcasting, so I, had, I was on the radio station there and oh, cool. knew, knew about studio setups, and I had a lot of classes about acoustics, both for radio and television. How to set up sound properly. So I had an idea, and what I basically did was go around my house and look for places that were the quietest. And I also did a fair amount of research, watching online. I watched a lot of East West Audio Body Shop and a lot of Widom's Worlds and figured out all the information that, that George and Dan were putting out about how to find a good space to begin with. And I thought I had done that in my basement. So I set up basically tent frame with PVC pipe. I went to the hardware store and bought enough PVC pipe to make a rectangle that was about five by six. It was actually pretty big for the time and draped some regular old moving blankets around it that I got from Home Depot and Harbor Freight. And that sounded okay. I definitely got a decent sound, but uh, like you, I sent it away to, to Dan Leonard and he said, it sounds not bad, but I can hear that car that drove by. And I was like, what car? I had no idea you could even hear that. And I was <laughs> in a basement below ground surrounded by concrete. So I thought I was pretty safe, but it turns out it wasn't doing anything for sound um, sound blocking, which is what we were talking about. There's a big difference between acoustics and soundproofing. So I'd done pretty well with the acoustics, sounded pretty good, but nothing at all for soundproofing. Mm -hmm. And that can be a big marketing misnomer because you'll see it everywhere, even for non-audio gear, like soundproofed windows or soundproofed doors or things like that. The truth is, is that it's usually a much more, uh, like the, the best deterrent for sound is mass. So... Like you, and we mean drywall, insulation, more drywall, steel, steel um, rock, concrete, that kind of mass. Like a right. blanket is not going to get rid of the traffic noise outside of your house. It might reduce it a little bit, but chances are it's not going to be a significant thing. And it can be frustrating because people who don't have the experience don't know, don't realize that, like, that, that this soundproof blanket isn't in fact going to create a silent space. Well, I could say that it's easy to fall into the marketing hype because yeah, even someone who, who had a lot of experience, my next step was to get soundproofing blankets. So uh, I was lucky that I acquired them for free because the company VocalBoothToGo.com that makes the acoustic uh, producer's choice acoustic blankets, they do call them acoustic blankets, but they do kind of pitch them as being soundproofing too. Mm -hmm. So they had an unfortunate event where their warehouse flooded, and it's a local company to me. So they're giving away thousands of these damaged blankets. Um, 
that were soaked in this this pond that over overflowed and flooded into their warehouse. Oh my! So I was able to pick up 18 of them for absolutely free. Whoa! And I lugged them back to my house and washed them, and they came out pretty well. I actually still use them now to line the inside of my whisper room. I think they're great. I I love Vocal Booth to go his little story because this was some he had mentioned or Paul had mentioned that he had picked up moving blankets from other companies before. And that's where Vocal Booth to Go got their start, was this sort of this warehouse of moving blankets. And then he noticed uh, the owner, I believe his name is Adil Adilev. Apologies, Adil, if I mispronounce that. But uh, he noticed that a lot of musicians and uh, producers and videographers were purchasing his blankets. And so he's like, what, what are you guys using these for? And they're like, oh, they're, they're very absorbent material that are, that's perfect for... Um, for movie sets or for vocal booths or musicians or whatever uh, to help them from disturbing their neighbors and improve their acoustics. So he's like, oh, okay, well, how can I improve it for that? And so he took their notes. He um, he made them easier to hang by adding grommets in them. He um, doubled the material that's used in the blankets so they're even more absorbent. And... Um, Eventually, he started making prefabricated booths so that were sort of already in a rectangular shape so that you could put it onto a frame that you made yourself or one that he uh, that he sells. I thought that was a really creative business model, and, and I admire him a lot for it. Yeah, so to get those blankets was my next step, and I put them on my existing PVC frame, and I thought that would help with some of the sound blocking, and it didn't. Not, to, not that there should be a surprise to anyone by now, but... It didn't block any more of the sound, and I have a big problem with sound blocking because I have a huge four-lane highway between uh, behind my house. The big retaining wall actually runs through my backyard, mm-hmm. so it's great for privacy. I don't have to worry about any new development behind my house, but <laughs> it can be a little cumbersome for recording. Mm-hmm. So I set up this booth, and it actually improved the sound to where I was got, I was getting a lot of work and, and doing pretty well, but um, I had the issue where I could only record at a certain times, similar to what you were talking about. In addition to the sound outside, I have a lot of sound, at least in my recordings, inside because I have a family with three kids and a dog. As I mentioned, I was in the basement. So every time I was recording, I would hear this. Oh, God. The little pitter-patter of, the the, the pitter-patter of little feet all over the ceiling. And, I have, and my family really quickly got sick of me yelling from below them in the basement, Hey, I'm trying to record. Keep it down up there. In addition to that, I had all the other household things like the refrigerator and the air conditioning. There were several times where I had to turn off the air conditioning or the heat because I live on the East Coast. And mm-hmm. uh, I, would come, I would come upstairs for bed and either be freezing or dying of, of heat because I forgot <laughs> to turn the HVAC unit back on. Whoops. So that, I got tired of that stuff real quick. And mm-hmm. that's when I started doing some more shopping. So I'll get to what I did next after you tell us what you did next. Okay. So at this point, um, like I said, I've been using a lot of the portable solutions because that's all I, all I could really do at the time. Uh, but I was always, like Paul, I was always on the lookout for a better solution. So I got this great booth from this great guy named Tim Page. He's a, he's a voiceover talent in New York. Uh, you can find him at timthepage.com. He's also got two really nice podcasts going. He's got Conversion Cast, which is sort of a marketing podcast. And then he's got my favorite one, Getting Into Comics. So he and I are both big Marvel Comics fans. And he wanted to create a podcast that was accessible, not, I like to call snob noxious when it comes to comics. Um, 
And it just just to make the whole thing really less intimidating for people who might get interested because of all of the movies that we have come or in media we have coming out now, but don't really know where to get started with a character that they're interested in. So once again, that's getting into comics. And um, if you want to hire Tim, you can find him over at Tim the Page. So T I M T H E P A I G E dot com. So thanks a lot, Tim. You really. You made a big impact on my VO career, and I wish you nothing but the best in your voiceover endeavors, too. While I had entertained ideas of just getting a booth in Japan, I just knew I wasn't, um, the expense wasn't worth it, and I knew I wasn't going to be there forever. So I got this great booth from this great guy named Tim Page, and he was selling it for a great price, and even with shipping, I still, or keep in mind, shipping from America to Japan, I still... Uh, saved a great deal and probably better than if I had gone new from the from the company. But anyways, so I get the, uh, about six weeks later, I get this huge um, duffel bag in the mail. And then this is what's called the hanging acoustic booth. So you've got this prefabricated rectangular shape of blankets and then um, sort of like a half frame because this thing is originally meant to be suspended from either a ceiling or just a height. So in the marketing materials, they have it in a warehouse suspended between two industrial ladders and a plank. Not not the most realistic setup, but I guess it whatever you have available. But anyways, I found out very quickly that that wouldn't work out for me, and so I went to the hardware store and um and then bought some. They didn't they didn't have PVC there for some reason, so I got these uh, stainless steel um, pipes, which I thought were actually pretty nice. I mean, they're a little bit narrower than the PVC pipes were, and I'm sure they're much stronger. So I made sort of a shower frame, a tall rectangular frame out of that, threw the booth on top, hooked up my mic and interface, and then listened to the angels sing. Because it was literally one of those hallelujah kind of moments. That was a clever setup, too. I actually talked to Adil um, from VocalBoothToGo.com, and he he liked your setup because he saw it in one of your reviews, and he said, oh, it's really clever what he did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can find that over on YouTube. Um, listening back now, it sounds fine on computer speakers, but I was using the Apogee mic and doesn't quite sound as great as I'd like looking back, but too late now. But yeah, I mean, that, that boot did not come with its own frame. It had sort of a half frame just to help it maintain its shape when it when it's suspended. But other than that, um, yeah, and it wasn't too difficult to make. So, I mean, that's that's a popular solution for a lot of talent of all levels and experience who, who've got a quiet enough space but just have reflection issues. So they'll just make those little shower booths with a PVC frame pipe, or excuse me, a PVC frame, and then moving blankets, either something prefabricated or just individual blankets made or thrown over the frame. Yeah, they can work great if you have uh, one limited recording to do mm-hmm. and two no other issues to contend with that are going to interfere with your sound. Mm. If you live alone in an apartment, like you were at the time, probably a great solution. So in my case, I knew really quickly that I wasn't going to be able to get much done if I didn't do something about sound blocking or sound isolation, as we call it. So mm-hmm. my next jump was to a booth almost right away. Um, I started shopping around. I knew I didn't have a lot of capital spent on a new booth. Um, something like a whisper room new can cost minimum five thousand dollars that wasn't happening right away so i looked on craigslist and ebay and i found pretty quickly a drum shield uh, locally on craigslist and that is something they use for live performances to encapsulate a drummer from the rest of the band so the drummer doesn't make the guitarist's ears bleed while they're playing on stage it's Mm -hmm. used a lot in churches and other small venues where there's live performances going on every day or every week 
So when they typically come, they have a plexiglass front and then these large sound absorbing baffles in the back. So what I did is I got one of the large ones. It was a six by, by seven or six by eight feet. But uh, knowing that the plexiglass would still have some, some sound leaking through, I decided to just not use that at all, or at least not in, in the, the inside of the booth. And I took just the absorbing panels and made them into a smaller space. So, oh, so you'd imagine I had one of the, the side pieces on the, as a floor, two more as a roof, and then the rest surrounding me in a sort of hexagon frame. And then I took the existing blankets I had from vocalboothtogo.com and wrapped those around the plexiglass and put that around for extra absorption. Ah, and cool. it sounded pretty darn good. I sent that to George Whittem to, to review, and he said it sounds great, like the best sound you've ever had. So stick with that, which, of course, did you not didn't. happen. But, <laughs> but what did you being, call that? It um, sounded great. I really liked your, your little playful name for that. Oh, right. I called it Frankenbooth because I was using it not for its intended purpose. And as I mentioned, normally there it's a six by eight booth. I had it collapsed to a, like a three by 3.2. I measured it one time just to, to laugh with some fellow talent about basically how I was working in a coffin. Yeah. And it also was only six, six maybe feet two inches high. And I'm six feet even. So oh, my, wow. if I stood up straight, my head would hit the roof. Oh my. So it wasn't an ideal space for a lot of reasons. And on the outside, it looked like something out of a horror movie. That's why I called it Frankenbooth. <laughs> it was made from the parts of deceased booths. <laughs> right. But I tell you what, it sounded fantastic. It did. I actually got the hint from uh, from fellow talent uh, Mike Bratton because he had the same booth and, or the same company and used oh, yeah. it to That's great right. effect. And I knew that it sounded good, but there were some other issues that made me keep looking eventually. Mm-hmm. So what issues are we talking about here? Is it still an isolation problem? Partially isolation, but more actually just physical space. I, I couldn't take being in such a confined space anymore. So I started to look for something that was more tr- traditional square or rectangle. Mm-hmm. Uh, most people will tell you that a square shape is bad for resonant waves bouncing back and forth. But there are a number of booths that are set up in a four by four fashion. Mm-hmm. So and they also tend to be the cheapest. So I tend I started to look around a little bit more and found a great deal on a vocal booth to go. At this point, we sound like shills for this company, but right. I do like their products. I found a great deal on their soundproofer booth, which is uh, similar to what you use, the acoustic booth, but an outside layer of um, mass-loaded mass vinyl, vinyl, yeah, which helps us to block sound. And soundproofer was a bit of a misnomer. It didn't block everything. I got it here, and there was a really funny story around how that happened. I actually <laughs> found it uh, on Craigslist. And contacted the the seller, we agreed to buy it. And while I was looking to sell Frankenbooth because I didn't need it anymore, somebody contacted me off of Craigslist and said that he thought the booth I was selling was one that he had previously owned. He said basically, I sold this booth about a year ago, that I, and now I, I need to get it back. I think it's mine that you're selling. <laughs> I thought this is really weird. What are the chances? So at first I thought the guy was just a sociopath. So. Uh, <laughs> You know, some, you hear horrible, horrible stories about Craigslist. Yeah. Well, but, you're still alive, so. so. So he asked me for my phone number, and he called me, and he started telling me about his family and how it was a, the only way he could keep his wife happy because he, he's a foster parent of disabled children. And I was like, oh, my God, he's laying on so thick. It's got to be a scam. <laughs> but uh, I decided I was going to at least listen to him. 
Mm-hmm. And when he described it, he said that he was in the military or still is in the military, career military guy. And he was supposed to be shipped out to Texas. And his that's when he sold the booth because he didn't he was going to clear all the stuff out of, out of the house. And he was starting to put stuff in boxes. And then his orders were canceled. So he was still stationed here in Maryland. And he then he said, well, I need my booth back because I'm, he's a drummer. So he was actually using the, the drum shield for drumming. Mm-hmm. And he basically said, I need my booth back to keep keep my sanity when I'm trying to practice and, and also keep, keep my family happy. happy. Yeah. And, you know, I felt bad for him. We talked a little bit more. And while I was trying to sell Frankenbooth and also purchasing the soundproofer booth, I found a whisper room also on Craigslist in New York, New York City. So I bought that too, or at least committed to buy it. So now I had, it, it, all in the same week, I had Frankenbooth in the house. I committed to buy the soundproofer booth and the whisper room at the same time. So I came up with this crazy idea to talk to the gentleman that was buying Frankenbooth back. I said, look, I've gotten myself into a real pickle. I have, I'm on the hook for these two booths now, and I don't know what I'm going to do. But I'll tell you what, I'll sell you Frankenbooth back if you drive to New York and get the soundproofer booth for me and bring it back here. So he did. One Sunday, he drove to New York City, came to my house. I gave him the old drum perfect booth back. He gave me the soundproofer booth, and everybody was happy. Nice. And then uh, that same week, I went back to New York City myself <laughs> and, and picked up the whisper room out of a, a New York City apartment, which is really interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's it's crazy because I happened to be at New York at the time. For um, One of my voiceover clients happens to be in a wheelchair. He actually asked me to wheel him around the city because it can be quite exhausting for someone to try and navigate all of those, like the pockmarked streets in a, in a wheelchair. So, mm-hmm. I was, so I was happy to help out. And Paul mentioned that he was going to be there. So we actually got to meet in person for the first time. Yeah, for a very short time. So I was double parked on a on a city street in Chelsea with a giant moving van, and uh, only had time for coffee, and not even an entire coffee. Mm-hmm. Uh, you look so exhausted. And this man was just covered in sweat, and he's just like, "Oh God, thank." So oh, I'm so glad that's done with. And then that you... brings me back to a point we we're talking about before. If you're going to get a booth, make sure you know what the heck you're getting into, because yeah, they are behemoths. So I I'm a reasonably in in shape young man, uh, well middle aged man at this point, and the guy 40s, I bought the booth the from 30. was thankfully slightly younger and probably in better shape. And it still was hard to move the sucker. We had to get down the hall out of the third story apartment. And because there's only one elevator in the apartment, we took each piece and basically stacked it against the wall by the elevator. Oh, hopefully, God. hoping nobody would steal it in the meantime. Then we'd run back to the room, bring the other piece out. Then we stuck all the pieces in the elevator and then held the elevator door open while we stuck all these pieces. So a whisper room has four sides, a roof. This one has a caster piece. So seven pieces to, all together. And each one weighs probably 150 pounds. And we're and they're also uh, seven and a half feet high. So it was a real bear to get in this elevator. When we got to the bottom, let me tell you, all the rest of his neighbors were pissed. Oh, they were all yeah. waiting on the street in a line, just glaring at us. So again, make sure you know what you're getting into when you're moving these things because they can be a bear. Yeah. <laughs> How much did you You said it was like over 100 pounds for each piece. Uh, I'm estimating each one is about 150. Good lord! At least the the sides. Yeah, it's pretty pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're, so you're, now you're that buying here, a small room, folks. Like, what's that? I said you're buying a small yeah, room. <laughs> more or less. But that brings me back to room. my whole reason for looking. Now that I have it here, I set it up, and it's like a whole new a whole new world. Basically, I have room mm-hmm. above my head. I have room to wave my arms around. I'm able to stand up and talk while... <laughs> Keep talking. 
What was that? <laughs> that was a whole new world from Aladdin. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I didn't get the joke. I was just in my own world. In my own whole new world. Uh, but anyway, it's glorious to be able to stand and move around without hitting my shoulders or head on the sides of the booth. So it does help a lot. And once I traded it right, it, it does sound great. And I just wanted now, to talk a little bit now. Um, I don't want anyone to think that that has to be, that the whisper room or a room within a room has to be your first solution. I mean, if you can afford it and you've got, you've already proved that you've got the talent, by all means. But like, try the closet first. See if you can save five grand, you know? And, yeah, it's, uh, all, it's all about your needs, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, in my case, I needed it to block out the kids because my kids do not leave me alone if I'm if I'm not locked in this booth. Yeah. They're always asking me for snacks and always <laughs> asking me to help them with uh with homework or play video games. So I needed the isolation, but you may not. Mm-hmm. And um, when you when you get started, like necessity is the mother of invention. You know, you take whatever materials you have available and you make the best sound you can. But if VO works out for you, then you can look into upgrades and then figure and eventually stop when you find the ideal solution for you. Yeah, and try and reuse materials. I'm obviously not big on keeping old mics, but I do keep everything else. Like Mm -hmm. the booth I have now, I treated it with uh, the blankets that I got for free. Mm -hmm. I don't have any any foam on the walls except for the one piece that came with the, the whisper room. I cut it in half and stuck it on the roof and on the door. Mm-hmm. But instead of buying thousands of dollars worth of foam for the walls, I just took the producer's choice blankets and hung them by the grommets on some 3M, uh, 3M command strip hooks. And they mm-hmm. stay up there and almost by themselves, they make it sound great. I did have to add some bass traps. Um, but other than that, the blankets do all the trick and it's stuff I already had. And uh, just backing up a little bit, for people who don't know what bass traps are, so when you have a small enclosed space like a booth or a closet, you can get a buildup of bass frequencies because they're they're actually larger and uh, there's more space in between the individual wavelengths than in higher frequencies. So it can take a lot more mass and a lot more material to to really knock out those frequencies and prevent them from being um, recorded. Because if they are recorded, what you'll get is sort of an, an unnatural boominess or... Uh, like some unpleasant frequencies to your voice. Right now I'm getting really close to the mic to try and simulate that. Um, but it, the point is, is you get a less natural sound and a less pleasant one because you've got some extra like boom in the, uh, in the recording. And so, so what exactly did you use for your bass traps, Paul? I thought you had a pretty ingenious solution for that. Oh, uh, right. Yeah. Early on in, in Frankenbooth, I, I got a tip <laughs> that was from Ethan Weiner or Weiner. I'm not sure how to pronounce his name. I, he's on um, Recording Hacks. Mm-hmm. One of the one of the moderators there, and he suggested using recycled denim insulation. It's called a uh, Ultra Touch. At least uh, that's the only brand I'm aware of. And he suggested just using it the way it is, wrapped up in its in its shrink wrap. And the ones I have are in rolls that I, I believe are 48 inches long when you stretch them out, but rolled up, they're just like a giant bath towel. Mm-hmm. And they come in a in a pack of six. At least I bought a case uh, that was a pack of six. I think it cost me 60 bucks for the whole thing. Wow. And it wasn't in, wasn't in stock. I had to order it to the Home Depot store, but they did deliver it there, and I was able to pick it up. And all I did was put some some Velcro on the the outside of the shrink wrapped rolls and plucked plucked them up on the roof of the of the booth. And having in the Frankie booth, I had four all the way around the roof, and that was all I needed. Mm-hmm. Sounded great. In the Whisper room, I reused those, and I put two on the roof, two in each corner. So six total again, two on the roof, two in each corner, mm-hmm. and. 
they do a great job almost by themselves. That's great. And they're lightweight and it's easy to install. And keep in mind, like you said, you spent 60 bucks on six. Yeah. Wow. Because, I mean, some of these purpose-built base traps, which are usually made out of acoustic foam or, or some kind of like recycled denim material placed in a wooden frame, they can be $40, $50 and up for one. So I thought oh, that yeah. was a great, that was a great solution. Another popular base trap is the, the Leonard um, corner base Oh, the base Leonard traps. base traps from Oralex. That's right. Yeah, and I think each of those is $60 a piece. Wow. So I did buy some some knockoffs of those. I don't remember the company. They were from Amazon. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I used in the Whisper Room. I bought four of those to assist with the Ultra Touch. Mm. But um, that's really it in the booth, along with the blankets. Very so, cool. Again, use the materials you already have on hand if possible. If you have some quilts you're not using, those will probably do great to absorb sound. Big coats, sweaters. Like the more material, the better, really. As far as closets go, I don't know anyone who had too much clothing that had a detrimental effect on their sound. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've, I've read people talking about just being, have the clothes draped around them while they're, while they're speaking, and it does work. Mm-hmm. I personally, on the road, have taken one of the extra uh, producer choice blankets and just put it over my head like a teepee, and it does a good enough job to absorb the sound with a, with a portable mic. Mm-hmm. And personally, I really like... I just like the effect that blankets have over foam for a lot of, or like for acoustic treatment, because it's sort of like a unitasker. Um, Sometimes, like some of these products are treated with chemicals that can actually have off-gassing in a small space. So uh, that could be unhealthy for you. And I just think you get a much more natural sound that's easier to install with like either some blankets from Vocal Booth to go. I know Audimute is another popular one. James Arnold Taylor sings their praises all the time. And like there's there's definitely a lot of solutions that you can look at before you kind of before you jump on the big names and the big brands. Okay, I think that wraps up Paul and my personal journeys with uh with acoustics. But before we go today, I wanted to sweeten the deal by offering you, our listeners, a potential giveaway. So I am giving away my Harlan Hogan Porter Booth Plus. It is, I will say it is slightly used. There's a little tear in one of the acoustic foams, but it works quite well. And this thing new would have been $260 for the uh, for the carrying case and the booth itself. So you can either use it as a beginner booth, as a travel setup, or as additional acoustic treatment in what you're already using. So this is my gift to you, our listeners. And if you are interested in this Porter Booth Plus, all you have to do is to like our Facebook page. That is the VO Meter Facebook page. And then just a short story uh, establishing your need. Why do you, how would this be helpful to you? Or a funny acoustic story of your own. Yeah, and you can do that either on the Facebook page or leave us a comment on the VO Meter uh, Podbean website itself under the comment section. Either way is fine. We'll see it. And uh, thanks for listening. Thank you very much. Yeah, I'm excited to see some of your entries. So I'm Sean Daly for the VO Meter with co-host Paul Stefano. Thank you very much for listening and good luck on winning that Porter Booth Plus. Bye, everybody. See you next time. Thanks for listening to the VO Meter, measuring your voiceover progress. To follow along, please visit www.vometer.com. 